acorns are jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, for as a mouse is Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 219, Far From Perfect, Sunday, March 24th, 2019. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yin Hu podcast has a Facebook page and it's available on iTunes. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments. Some announcements, the back porch, the front porch, ever-expanding skill set, and off the shelf. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I hope you are well, and I thank you for listening. And for those of you who have been in touch with me since the last episode, thank you so much for your comments, your kind notes, and your suggestions for some sustainable or consciously produced bras, underwear, and footwear. I've been exploring some of those possibilities, and I even placed an order. Melinda from the Yarnder Woman podcast, um, she's based in Australia, had suggested an Australian company called Booty, B-O-O-D-Y. It has an Australian site, but there's also a North American arm. And after looking carefully, I decided to order a few products from there. They haven't arrived yet, but when they do, I will let you know what I think of them. There has not been a high output of knitting since the last time I recorded. Uh, and I've lost momentum a little bit on, on a couple of things, which is a bit unusual for me. But I have been devoting a lot of attention to a new design. It's currently in the final stages of tech editing, and I am in need of a few test knitters. This is a quick project. It is a colorwork beanie knit in fingering weight yarn, two colors. There is a large, a 52-stitch repeat of a motif with the distal fink. It's a kind of stylized goldfinch that's popular in the art of the Pennsylvania Dutch, also sometimes known as fractor. If that interests you, this knits up really quick. It truly does. Um, If that interests you and you'd like to do a test knit on a colorwork beanie and fingering weight yarn, please send me a personal message on Ravelry or if you know me personally, get in touch however you choose. I am looking to have some folks complete or nearly complete with a test knit by April 6th. 
Um, and this design will be featured at a few upcoming festivals. So I'm really excited about that and eager to get it out into the world. One project on which I haven't lost momentum is the Arlequin Cowl. It's a design by Sydney Racco Toravello for a colorwork cowl. And I have talked about it on the podcast before. I'm use, I used, because it's, it's complete. It just needs the ends woven in and a blocking. But the knitting is complete on this cowl. And I'm really, really pleased with it. I was able to see my vision through of using the design to showcase some of the hand spinning and natural dyeing that I've done over the course of several years. And it shows it off to such beautiful effect. Uh, it's kind of like a knitted sampler of my abilities in spinning and, and dyeing. So I'm really proud of it. I'm eager to there, finish it up. The ends... The ends are kind of daunting because I used, of course, um, the designer calls for two colors. And so you wouldn't have all of these obnoxious ends hanging out if you had followed those directions. But of course, I wanted to go my own way with this. And that means just really a monstrous amount of ends left to weave in. So I hope to do that this weekend and give this a soak. My cowl, it's a, it's a colorwork cowl. It begins with um, some corrugated ribbing. And then there's just two by two colorwork stitch in stockinette. And then some more corrugated ribbing at the top before the bind off. I made my cowl uh, longer and narrower so that it can be double looped around the neck or it can just kind of hang in one loop. And I kind of like the way when it hangs like that, almost like a very thick necklace, you can see both the right and the wrong side of the color work. And I I think the, the wrong side looks almost as mesmerizing as the right side in some cases. One thing I wish I had done as I altered this pattern to be a long and narrow cowl is that I wish I had given a twist in the cast on to make it into a kind of Mobius. I think that would have been a good idea and I'm a little bit disappointed in myself for not thinking of that. But like the title of this episode says, far from perfect. I found that phrase, well, a version of that phrase in a poem I'm going to share with you today, and it seems to really, um, it seems to be emblematic of the past two weeks. So once again, this cowl is the Arlequin Cowl by Sydney Racco Toravello. She also has the same design in a hat pattern. And Sydney is one of the BIPOC designers that are featured on uh, this group in Ravelry with a mission to share the work of designers and also the work of dyers who are people of color so that you can expand your repertoire and maybe try something from a new designer. 
Many listeners have reported that they are trying to do just that and searching for patterns um, within the the pages uh, posted by this group. And so I'm really glad to have found Sydney's work and it certainly inspired me to take on a project that was not at all on my radar, but that ends up being something I am extremely proud of. And I think it's also a really nice teaching tool because it's a nice way to talk about some of the work I've done and some of the things that happen with natural colors and botanical dyes. I used it as a discussion tool in a course I was teaching this weekend, and I can see that it will really come in handy in that way. So thank you, Sydney. I am sorry to report that I lost momentum in knitting my Ravenclaw mitts. I love the pattern, I love the yarn, but doing color work didn't work out in terms of the time and the bandwidth I had available for knitting time over the past few weeks, and I just really stalled out. I am almost done with mitt number one. No thumb, of course, but the hand of the mitt is almost done. I really love the beautiful um, Ravenclaw design. I'm using Tuku wool fingering in a beautiful deep blue and a gold color, and it's it's perfect for the Ravenclaw house colors, and it looks beautiful in this mitt. But now it's getting warmer, and I didn't finish... I just feel a little bummed out about it. I'm usually, I'm pretty um, conscientious about finishing projects because I feel like it just makes me feel nervous and uncomfortable if I have a lot of things unfinished. So I really try to be good about my knitting, start things, finish things, not work on too many projects at once. But I have to say, I think this time I will work to finish the hand of that mitt and then I will set these mitts aside until the cold weather returns next year. And maybe I can end to finish the pair of mitts for the Woolly Thistles Mitt and Cal next year. I've been so inspired looking at all of the completed mitts. People are just they're so accomplished with their color work knitting and these mittens are just amazing. And I just, as much as I love them, it couldn't push me to get mine done. You know, you can't just knit based on admiration. You actually have to pick up the needles and, and set your mind to it. And my mind just needed some really easy... Um, and simple projects over the past few weeks. So far from perfect, I'll put those on hold and they will be completed at some future date, uh, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Every March, I have a series of field trips, including an overnight field trip with students from my school. There is substantial amount of downtime, but it the situation demands a project that's very, very easy. And 
I didn't take the mitts. <laughs> I decided to cast on a new project with some yarn that's been hanging out in my stash for quite a while. And it, this is a pattern I have knit before. It's called the Clincher. It's by Ash Kearns. Way back when I first knit it, I think it was a free pattern on Ravelry because it's in my library. Now it's available through Craftsy, I think. Um, but the Clincher is a pennant-shaped shawl or really more appropriately I guess a scarf because it's very long and narrow knit with a single skein of fingering weight yarn in a ribbed design that just gets one stitch wider every four rows so it's very very easy you memorize it in a minute and then you can just knit 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 it does involve purling also so if you don't like purling, this might not be the pattern for you, but I really like it. I think it makes a beautiful piece. When you're done knitting your entire skein of fingering weight yarn, then you pick up some really cool contrast color and you knit a series of loops at the widest part of this pennant shaped scarf. And then you style it by pulling the narrow end through one or all or some of the loops and it it's very stylish and it stays around your neck very nicely without needing a shawl pin or anything like that I think it's also a great spring accessory because it you know it's not super warm uh, but it's just a nice layering piece a nice pop of color around your face a really an ideal project for a special skein of yarn and that's exactly what I used. A number of years ago at the farm and fiber tour I was given a skein of yarn dyed by Maya who dyes under the label Mad Mermaid Fiberworks. This skein is a BFL silk blend it's absolutely tremendous. The luster is amazing. It's dyed with um, mostly pinks, a little bit of green, a few pops of pale yellow. It just really speaks spring to me. And I think it's ideal for this shawl design because the silk in this um, yarn would make it very slippery on the shoulders and I think a shawl would tend to slide off. That's kind of one of the trade-offs of using a yarn with a lot of silk in it is that it can have a tendency to slide off the shoulders. So I thought this design with the loops would just really be ideal and it was great for knitting on the overnight field trip. I thought I would get a lot further with it than I have but this will take the place of a sock for me right now because it's it's fingering weight yarn. It's on my very favorite U.S. size 4 needles and I can just pull it out in almost any situation where I could knit and make some progress on it. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. Let me see if I can find the colorway of this. Oh yes, she's calling the color Sea Urchin 
400 yards to four ounces, Mad Mermaid Fiberworks. And the this is locally sourced, so the BFL in the yarn is from New York State. So she's really doing wonderful things to find locally sourced fibers and dye them. That's Maya of Mad Mermaid Fiberworks. And the pattern I'm knitting is the Clincher by Ash Kearns. Something that I hope to get on the needles today is a Deshane sweater. The design is by Layla Robb, and the yarn I will be using is yarn that I purchased on the Knit Local Getaway last year. I purchased some beautiful, um, bulky Erin. I'm not sure of the weight. This is pretty thick yarn, thicker than I normally knit. But I have seen um, some sweaters that instead of being knit out of the DK weight linen yarn are knit out of bulkier yarns in this Deshane design and they came out really well. So the Deshane is a cropped sweater. It has a beautiful lace motif in the front and the lace creates sort of a dip in the hemline of the sweater. The back is plain and then the sleeves are knit on afterwards, I think. I don't, maybe the sweater is pieced. I think the sweater may be pieced, but I fudged the directions a little bit when I knit it last time. And after the underarm part, I joined the sweater and knit in the round. I may follow those directions again, or I may just use the directions as written. But the Duchesne is a really lovely layering piece. It's great for over dresses and tunics and things in the spring, and the color is decidedly spring-like. I really want to have this knit before this year's farm and fiber tour because I plan to do some more shopping at Batten Kill Fiber Mill and that is my personal rule. As some of you listeners know that I really do try to knit up what I purchased the year prior at an event or a festival or something like that um, before I purchase additional yarn, fiber, and what have you at the coming year's festival. And I think once I have that cast on, it will knit up quite quickly and I'll be motivated by the fact that I, you know, I should be able to get a little bit of wear out of it this spring. Another project that I hope to work on in the very near future is a linen jacket. I don't remember the number, but this is a new look design. It's a pattern that my mother purchased and she has actually made one version of this jacket and we cut out another one for her and when we did that I also sized the pattern for myself and I managed to cut out all of the pattern pieces even though I was really short on fabric. I since I was doing this with my mom I had opportunity to learn yet again from her and this was a beautiful piece of 100% European linen. I had washed it. It shrunk quite a bit. And I was just trying to 
turn the pattern pieces every which way to get them to fit, and they would not. And my mother suggested folding the piece in the opposite direction, which never would have occurred to me, I don't think. I have folded both sides into the middle for some things, like a tunic front and back where it's pretty narrow and I have a wide piece of fabric. But I've never tried folding something in the opposite direction, and we did, and it fit. And I had enough of a fold for the single piece of the design that needed to be cut on the fold. So I have the pattern cut out. I have the pattern directions, and I think it will go together quite well. This is a very loose-fitting kimono-style jacket. To me, it's reminiscent of the Wixton kimono. It has really big, generous pockets in the front and a shawl collar. And I think... I think it's going to be a really useful piece for spring, so I'd like to get working on that as well. Ever-expanding skill set. Last week when I visited my mom for a bit of a sewing day, we also made a new recipe together. Well, a version of a new recipe. I wanted to make this corn tart with spring onions. It's a recipe I had found on Food 52, which is where I often go to sort of dream about meal planning and find new recipes. The The recipe did not get very good reviews. A lot of people said that it was bland. So I liked the idea of it, but I knew that we would have to do some doctoring to get something that was really delicious. One of the reasons I was excited about this idea of a corn tart, well, two reasons. One is that there was cornmeal in the crust, which I thought was interesting. And the second is that it called for corn cut off the cob. And every summer when I buy delicious sweet corn from our local farmers, I often buy more than we can eat. And we grill the corn and eat as much as we can. And I cut the remainder off the cob and put it into a freezer bag. And then throughout the winter, I put it into soups and stews and things like that. And it has a delicious toasty corn flavor because it's been cooked over the grill. And I thought that would be a really good addition to this tart. So the way we doctored it is that we started with sauteing some really high quality bacon from a local farmer. And we crumbled that and then we sauteed the corn, onion, diced uh, yellow onion, and also some blanched asparagus in a little bit of that bacon fat. We made our usual pie crust, but replaced about a quarter cup of the flour with cornmeal, which made a delicious uh, crust with a little bit of crunch to it and a golden yellow, kind of like a toasty yellow color. There is a recipe for a tart crust um, contained within this recipe, but 
I just decided to do something that was a little more traditional in terms of my pie crusts, but I wanted to add that cornmeal to give it an interesting texture and a little bit of extra flavor. So into our pie shell went eggs, a bit of cream or half and half, and then all of these sautéed vegetables, some uh, slivered scallions, the crumbled bacon, and then I had a small container of ricotta cheese that I mixed with salt, pepper, and the entire rind, a grated rind of one lemon. And we put dollops of this ricotta cheese uh, on top of the egg mixture and then baked it. I posted a photograph of these pies on pie day and it was just absolutely delicious. It was kind of like bringing the flavors of spring like the eggs, asparagus. To me, ricotta and lemon are also very reminiscent of spring dishes. So it kind of brought all of those flavors into one meal and it was excellent for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a few days. I think this weekend I might endeavor to make another one of those or kind of make a variation on a quiche or spring tart, a savory pie. And that is um, a great way to have something on hand throughout the week, something that can go for lunches. And uh, it's a good investment of my time because it's not just one meal of cooking. I will link the original recipe in my show notes and time permitting, I will type out a few of the adjustments that we made as we tested out this, this, uh, this pattern, this recipe. Off the shelf, all week I have been reading spring poems in my spare time and looking for something to share with you on the podcast. Often I bring you poems by some quite well-known poets. This week the poem is from Edwin Curran. He was a railroad telegraph operator in Zanesville, Ohio, and in the early 1900s he put out his poems in a series of printed pamphlets. They were not very well received from what my research tells me, and he was often criticized for being very repetitive. (laughs) This poem, however, was published in the March 1918 issue of Poetry Magazine, and that is no small task. So, I think maybe he had a winner every once in a while. And appropriately, this is titled The March Thaw. On turgid, bellowing tramp, the freshest rills, heaped up with yellow wine, the winter's brew. Outthrown, they choke and tumble from the hills and lash their tawny bodies, whipping through. With flattened bells comes scudding purple rain. The cold sky breaks and drenches out the snow. 
Far from the perfect circle of the sky, the heavy winds lick off the boughs they blow, and fields are cleansed for plows to slice again, for April shall laugh downward by and by. With purifying blasts, the wind stalks out and sweeps the carrion of winter on. It prods the dank mists, stamps with jest about, and sows the first blooms on the greening lawn. Far up the planks of sky, the winter's dross goes driven to the north. Her rank smells wave in unseen humors to the icy pole. The charwoman of the sky, with brushes, lave and wash the fields for green and rocks for moss, and busily polish up the earth's dull soul. Sweet nature, 
Yeah. 